we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Let's pray together. Father, as we open up your word, uh, Lord, just keep it open. Lord, as, as we uh, look at this, this text today, I pray that you would uh, just speak to our hearts, God. Uh, let us hear what you want to say to us, Lord. I pray for Pastor Kyle as he comes and he shares uh, the message with us, God. I, I pray that you would just help him to uh, communicate with accuracy and, and, and clarity, Lord, what you've put on his heart and um, what your word says to us here in this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. now? No? Yes? Is it coming through? All right. All right. Great. Wonderful. Where are they? I can hear it now. Good. That, that's, Kyle, you're too loud. Okay. Um, this morning, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, we just read from those. Uh, again, we're in Galatians 2. Uh, Galatians 2, uh, 15 through 21, and we're going to finish up uh, this morning uh, Galatians 2. And uh, what I want to tell you real quick is, because you got to remember something about Galatians. Galatians is a letter. And so what we're going to do probably for three is we're going to read it, and there's a section. I'm going to get to the end of Galatians possibly next week, and we're going to, we're going to land back in as we come up over uh, three. We're going to land back in at the very end of three and into four, and we're going to look at this issue of the doctrine, uh, the doctrine of adoption, and that's going to come up next. Uh, but to, today we want to kind of close this chapter, as it were, with this situation with Paul and with Peter that we've been looking at for the last couple weeks. And so this morning, the title of this uh, sermon is Paul and Peter, the heart of the matter, the heart of the matter. We looked a little bit at that last week, but this is kind of like the end of that section for us. And so uh, what I want us to do uh, is, if I can, I'm going to pray really quickly, um, and then I'm going to begin to uh, go into this text together uh, with you all this morning. So let's pray one more time. Uh, Father God, we come before you. I pray that you would be with me specifically as uh, we open your word, as I open your word. Uh, Lord God, speak. Lord, your word is powerful. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It says it, it goes and accomplishes that which it goes to accomplish. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help us not to, uh, to, to walk from it or depart from it, and it would not depart from us. And I pray that this morning that the word of God would do its work and that the seed of that word would germinate into fruit in our lives as Christians. Uh, in all that we do, in ministry, in worship, attitude, relationship, all of it. Lord, help us to be all that you'd have us to be. In your name we do pray, Christ Jesus. Amen. And this morning, we see that Paul's rebuke led Peter to declare, excuse me, uh, Peter's rebuke from Paul led, like we saw last week, uh, Paul to uh, lead him to say one of the clearest. 
statements on all of Scripture, and all of Scripture, on the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. Uh, the very doctrine that Peter himself had preached. And we last saw last week, uh, in effect, he was uh, beginning to renounce by his hypocrisy in separating himself from Gentile believers. Gentiles. Here in verses 15 through 16, we'll look at it in a second. Paul is saying, in effect, we'll see it in a sec, uh, that Peter needed, you remember last week, Peter needed, and I'm going to use this word when you hear rebuke, when you hear confrontation, I want you to hear the word before, it, when I said that word, that's really important, loving rebuke. Peter needed loving exhortation and encouragement, loving confrontation, because, why? Peter was violating the cardinal truth of Christianity. By his behavior, he was condoning in action, his actions, a works righteousness, thereby outrightly denying in the same action the gospel of faith alone through Christ alone for the glory of God alone and ultimately also for all, the gospel for all men. Uh, basically, Peter, as you saw last week, is saying, look, in order to be a Christ follower, you must look, smell like, wear the t-shirt of, hang out with Jews. And if you're anything else than that, you have no hope. That is not the hope and the message of the gospel. We know that. Peter knew that. Paul absolutely knew that, and he confronted him over it. Uh, Martin Luther uh, said that justification... Justification is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. John Calvin, in that same time frame of the Reformation, he says that it is the hinge. Justification is the hinge by which all salvation does turn. Charles Spurgeon, it's another, another sermon brought to you by Charles Spurgeon, right? He says something, and I love this. He says, any church which puts in the place of justification by faith in Christ another method of salvation, he says, is a harlot church, not in keeping with the love of the gospel, end quote. So the question is this morning, church, what is justification? Well, justification is the gracious, the gracious act of God by which God declares, that word's important, a sinner righteous solely through faith in the finished work and the merit of Jesus Christ alone. You can say amen to that because that is a statement of absolute truth and a statement of absolute finality. Our world around us would like to seek to change that sentence, but you cannot biblically, historically in Christianity. So thank you for the amens. It's appropriate. You see, if you take that one aspect, the aspect of what justification is and does, brothers and sisters, if you take that away from Christianity, you are left with nothing else but a false world religion. You are left with, yes, Islam. You are left with Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Catholicism, and even a works-based Christianity. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You take justification out, we don't understand it properly. You are left with a world religion. This is why Paul's declaration this morning's text is of vital importance, church. 
It is so important to us in Christianity. Justify, the word justified, or the word justification, it's a judicial word. When I mean by judicial, I'm talking about it is a word for the courtroom. It bears with it a law uh, uh, terminology, a uh, judgment and plaintiffs and lawyers and laws and all of those things. Justified or justification, the root word for this, these things means to approve. It means to acquit. It means to declare one in right standing. Now that's really important. One of my favorite definitions of justification is right standing. If you're taking notes, that's where you want to put it. Right standing. Justification means to be uh, guilty, been found guilty, and needing to pay the penalty or the fine or to do the time in order for the, co- law, the, the court to look at you at some point and say, all right, time served, whether you did or didn't, that time served, uh, 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 you know, penalty paid, they can go free. Now, that has to do with the court of law. To be justified, scripturally speaking, spiritually speaking, in regards to the gospel, justified and justification means, listen, it means to have right standing with God. The law maker, the law giver, and the one in whom all of us will one day stand because he will judge us according to the perfection of himself in the law of God. Be justified. Have justification is to be made to stand rightly for God. Every one of us must stand before a holy God, church. A fine must be paid. Your sins are, their sins have brought separation before God. The penalty of sin is judgment. It is death. It is eternal separation from him. We know this because why? God is holy. Holy. What does it mean that God is holy? God means, what it means that God is holy is that he needs nothing outside of himself to be perfect. He's holy in and of himself. He's not, we're not like cut out from God and somehow no, he's completely separate from us in all aspects of holiness. And God being holy is infinitely perfect and wise and good. And none of us in this room probably walked in this morning being infinitely good at anything but maybe sin. And a lot of other things you can connect with that, that word. You stand before God, you stand before the judge. Your sins have separate. You've been found guilty. And you owe a fine, a fine that you cannot pay, the amount of the money that it needed, not even the richest man on the face of the planet. If you got all five of them together, they couldn't even pull their monies together, and it would be able to satisfy the wrath of God who's holy in his judgment against sin. Your sins are that great. There is one the Bible says, this courtroom I love, I'm going to preach on it on another time and another day. But there's, a, there's, there's this thing in the courtroom. Uh, guys, when you... How good of you do you think you are if you're in a courtroom? A judge is there, you're in trouble, you've never read a law book, you don't know anything about anything, and you sit there and you go, I want to represent myself. How many of y'all think that's always a good idea? (laughs) I can just see myself in a courtroom, right? I object, Your Honor. You're not supposed to object there, right? (laughs) And I I would steal all the movie clips I can. You can't handle the truth, Right? Perry Mason and Matlock would come out of the woodwork. I tell you what, I do my very best. It probably would not go well for me. They would probably just lock me up for my dumb argumentation. 
You know, <laughs> yeah, we, it killed someone, but man, that is even more horrible. Send them away for life, right? No, listen, you do not want to go into a room, a courtroom, to, 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 to plead your case and not have any understanding of what you're doing. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. We will all stand before a holy judge. His name is God. And God has sent someone, God has sent someone to represent us, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it says in the word of God, is our advocate. An advocate is one who pleads their case. He is the perfect lawyer. Jesus says, you want to represent yourself, or do you want me to kind of step on up and and plead for you? I'm going, Jesus, please. Right? Please, Jesus. He's who you want to plead your case. And it says that he sends an advocate, and that advocate just so happens to not only plead your case. Let me tell you how great this lawyer is. Let me tell you how great this advocate is. He steps up to the podium, pleads our case. And by the way, he doesn't only plead the case, which we'll look at in just a minute what that is. He also says, and by the way, I want to pay their fine. The only one who can pay the fine. And he pays it of himself on his own accord. You see, that is what we call propitiation, which is mean uh, wrath satisfied. Satisfied. But listen, not only is wrath satisfied, but we are also justified in Christ Jesus. Not just satisfied, but we are made to be in right standing because of him. You see all these great and wonderful theological words that are pretty awesome? We will get into all those words later, but now let's move on, okay? Sermons for another day. I got a bunch of them. I can't wait, right? Romans 4, 22 through 25, it says in the text, if, oh, I know why this isn't working. Watch this. On. I had it off. Okay, watch this. Oh, she did it already. You're awesome up there. All right. Romans 4, 22 through 25. That is why his faith, this is making reference to Abraham. Abraham was counted as righteousness. Do you remember what righteousness means? Righteousness means what? Right standing before God. Right standing. It talks of Abraham, and it says that is why his faith was counted. The word counted is a really awesome word. It means accredited. It means that you are bankrupt. It means you had nothing in your account. You didn't have a penny to your name, and something by someone was put in your account. Accredited to you. Bankruptcy was in your uh, future, and you go to the bank one day and go, do, 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 do. how much do I have? And all of a sudden, you have some money in the count. He said, Look, his faith was counted, which means accredited to him, as righteousness. That faith was counted to him as if they're right standing. But the words, it was counted, which means accredited to him, were not written for his sake alone. Can I get a big amen on that one? But for ours also, It will be counted, which means accredited, to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, another way of saying sins, and raised for our justification, right standing before God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, for our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We we, we termed these things in theology framework imputed righteousness. It means something was put upon, given. Uh, Some of us have heard it's called alien righteousness. Alien means outside of yourselves. You know, E.T. visiting us on earth, right? I'm not saying Jesus Christ is not an alien. That's not what we're saying, right? That, 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 That righteousness is alien to all of us. 
It comes from something outside of ourselves. It's almost as if it comes from a different universe altogether. That universe that we speak of, this righteousness, comes from God. But he is holy, not like us, separate from us. We need an alien righteousness. We need an imputed righteousness. We need right standing before God. That we may come into right standing with God is the issue and key. Some have said this, and I want to say that I think that if you've ever said this, I love you, and I think you're, you're actually right. It's a good statement. Someone says, what is justification? Well, justification is as though you had never what? You had never sinned. Justified. In other words, you have sinned. And God and, and what he has done in Christ Jesus, he justifies us right standing before God as if you've never sinned ever before. And there is some truth in that. You remember what it says in Scripture? As far as the east is from the west, so your sins are from him. Amen? But I got one further, all right? You can say justification is although or even though I've never sinned, but watch this. Justification is farther and it is deeper than all that. Justification is even though I have sinned, justified. How many, of you, how many of you sit in that chair today? To me, even though I have sinned, God in Christ Jesus declares me justified. Let that sink in. If you ponder it outrightly, it may just feed your worship. It may just feed your joy in ministry as Christian men and women. Yes, as we've said a couple of weeks ago, we are great sinners, but we have a greater Savior. This morning, I want us to look at two things, two little points, right? Two small ones. We have this. We have one, it's the heart of the matter. We see this in verse 15 and 16, or through 17, excuse me. And, and let's read that again together this morning. The heart of the matter. We, ourselves, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, Paul says. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith, Christ, and not by works of the law. By, because by, by works of the law, no one will be justified. In the text this morning, we see something. I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul uses the word we three times in th the, and five through, uh, 15 through 16 specifically. He says... Uh, this three times. The word is in reference. I need you to know what we references here. Paul is speaking, if you remember the context of last week, he's speaking of Peter. He's speaking of himself, Paul. He's speaking of Gentile, excuse me, Jewish believers. We. We who are Jews. And he says, if the Jews, meaning Peter and Paul and the like, knew that they themselves as Jews, having known, known the law and having the law, could not hope to be saved according to the law, then how would they bring Jews, how, how would those, uh, excuse me, those Jews expect sinners from the Gentiles to be saved by such? They themselves couldn't do it. They themselves knew it in Judaism. Yet they're going to expect the Gentiles to do it? You see, this would have been the height of all hypocrisy. And as Paul has already stated, no amount of law-keeping, no amount of rules and religion can make a person righteous, right, standing before God. Because the root of sinfulness is in the corruption and fallenness of man's heart as first offense. It's not in the actions of man or simply in what he does. 
It's not in their attitude and or their thinking, not least holy, not foundationally. Man's basic and foundational problem is in what he is. What he is. Not merely in what he does. Sinful acts are but the outward expression. What I do is merely an action outside of my sinful thinking. Uh, My sinful thinking, if we track this thing back, what I do, we don't say the devil made me do it. You know, remember you saying that? Why would you do that? The devil made me do it? You did it because your mind thought it. But why was you thinking it? The devil made me think it? You you thought it because you got something wrong with you. Down here in the south is a, you know, bless his heart, right? You know, you got something wrong with you. The foundation of sin flows from our nature, what we are. You remember I said this a couple of weeks ago. I'm just going to bring it back up real quick for, um, um, for the sake of uh, illustration. Sin is what? Sin is any failure to meet the moral standard of God, His holiness. You could even say Ten Commandments and so much more. But let's, see, let's just use the Ten Commandments. This is an easy one for us. His law in action, what we do, in attitude, what we think, and in what we are, nature. If you remember, a couple weeks ago, we also looked at this. Sin means something. If you remember, sin means to literally miss the mark. Sin means to miss the mark. We, we talked about how when you have sin and missing the mark, if you can go ahead and pull that uh, picture up for me, it looks like I'm all over the place with my button. Um, sin is to miss the mark, all right? Now, if you remember, a sin was a, a word that literally meant what? Missed. You take your arrow, you send it down the, 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 the lane there, you want to hit the bullseye, you try your very best, you take, you breathe, what? Sin missed. Sin missed. What I want you to know is something says, the scripture says something to us in Isaiah 64, 6. It says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. All of your righteous deeds. Let that sink in. All your good things. I'm such a good person. I did such a good thing. In the presence of Almighty God is polluted clothing, rags. Think about it. I'm not sitting there saying that when we don't give to the poor that we don't do good things. I'm not saying that none of us have that in us. I think we get that from Christ Jesus who resides in us. But if we're really honest, if you really think about it, how many of you actually fight for purity in what you do in worship? How many of you fight for purity in what you sing? How many of us fight in our fallen flesh for purity in what we do? I give to the poor. Are you really good at being quiet about it and telling no one, or do you want someone to actually look at it and notice it? You give a couple phone calls to people. You expect something in return, right? Maybe you're one of those people that honestly you do things because it makes you feel good, which is also just another way of saying, I'm doing this for me. God has no problems with any of this. He struggles with nothing, even on his best and good. He's always good. We, even on our best day, have issues. We got, hey, guys, listen to me. Y'all got some issues, right? Not me. I'm a preacher. We don't have issues, all right? Jerry, Bridge, Jerry Bridges has said, even our tears of repentance Hello. Even on your best day in Christianity, 
He says, even our tears of repentance need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Hey, great news, guys. You're all worse than you thought, all right? Which means that the grace given you in Christ Jesus is greater, it is deeper, and more powerful than maybe some of you have ever given it credit. Now look with me at the text once again. Three times he says, we. Three times. Paul declares three times that salvation is only through faith alone in Christ alone and not by the works of the law. That anyone shall be saved. The first time you see it in our text there, it's a general statement. It says, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's general. A man is not justified by the works. The second time he uses it in our text, thank you there, it is personal. Even we, meaning those that were there, the Jews have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. The third time that Paul uses it there, the we, it is a universal statement. By works of the law shall no flesh be justified. means no one ever. All three affirm the same great reality and truth. What man is unable to do Every time he seeks to shoot his shot, to hit his bullseye in religion, he sins. Miss is what I mean. Christ has already accomplished and done and is the only one able to do it. Jesus is an arrow splitter and all we are is a bunch of no target hitters. Sin, sin, sin. You got a gold medal at the last Olympics with your bow and arrow? Shoot your shot at that target. Sin, you missed. Now watch Jesus shoot his, splitting arrows left and right. Robin Hood had no chance of hitting the arrow that Jesus Christ can do in his righteousness. It's not even close. Romans 3, uh, excuse me, 8, 3 through 4 says, oh, this is really important, guys, listen to this. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous, right, standing, requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Jesus always hits the mark, amen? Paul says to Peter, in his confrontation, as we saw last week, don't you go messing around with that. Don't get that wrong. And don't you, by your words and by your actions, be communicating anything other than this doctrine for which salvation has its foundation. Number two, Paul will give us a further defense of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Here in verses 17 through 20. We see that the Apostle Paul's defense of justification by faith as he shows the contradiction of the Jewish legalism to which Peter had succumbed from that of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it says there, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died 
to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. First, I want us to look at verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, that means there's a try, there's a chance that maybe we can get this thing in our endeavor, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Paul says, certainly not. Meaning, had they become sinners, meaning Paul and Peter, because we know Peter was doing this too, as Jewish believers who came to understand Jesus Christ and the gospel, had they now become sinners because they were eating with people of less reputation? Had they now become sinners because they no longer would associate with Gentiles? Or that they were, excuse me. Had they become sinners because they were loving them? That the, that the gospel had transformed them and they want others to know from other nations and tribes and languages? I mean, was this literally what was making them now all of a sudden, you know, on the naughty list of Christianity? No. Because look at the second point. He's saying, Paul, in effect, if we became sinners because of fellowship with Gentile brothers, he implies, then is Christ himself a sinner? Are we now sinners because we're doing this? Because the gospel has freed us to be like this? And if so, does that mean that Jesus Christ is a sinner? Why do you, why do you say that? Paul says, Peter, if eating with Gentiles is a sin, if such an action should be frowned upon, did not Jesus himself eat with such as these? Are we not following the example and teaching of Jesus Christ? Uh, Paul's walking around with his bracelet that says WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And he's passing the WWJD test. Jesus would have ate with sinners because he did eat with sinners. And he says, is this sin? Is Christ then a servant of sin? Well, you already know the answer to this. Paul says what? Certainly not. Verse 18, for if I rebuild what I once tried to destroy, I prove to be a transgressor. In other words, if anyone, including myself, tries to rebuild a system of legalism, of works and rules, after he has once destroyed it by believing and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, man's sinful helplessness, he proves, he proves himself, not Christ, the transgressor. He proves himself to be a hypocrite and a sinner by abandoning grace for law. Then he goes on to say in verse 19, For through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. I want you to see one little thing before I get into my conclusion. One little thing. For, I, for through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. If you look with me really quickly in our book of Galatians, we're going to preach on this some other time, but look at me. Look with me at Galatians 3. It's just one page over probably. Galatians 3. Look with me at 23, and I'm going to read through 27. And I want you to see something about this law, what, what Paul states here. Now, before faith came, we were held captive. It means slavery under the law. He uses the word imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. In some translations, old translations, it says schoolmaster. 
until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Jesus Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Paul says, look, for, the, for through the law, I died to the law, that I might live unto God. The law was put in charge to lead me to Jesus Christ. You want to know what the law was for? The law was not for you to obey it in the sense of that you can earn your salvation through it. That's what I mean by obey it. We're still supposed to obey it because we love God. It's his holy standard. He deserves that we love him. If his seed resides in us in the spirit, we desire to please him in the law of God. But if you're, by any, if you're here this morning and if you're mistaken in anything, please do not be mistaken in this. By the law, no man will be justified. Paul says, but it was because of the law that I knew what sin was. And when I looked at sin, I looked at it, I realized I could not, could not. I was held captive under the law. It was like a slave. I was enchained. I had no hope. For 2,000 years, if not more, the law was put there so that we would one day look to the Savior and say, He has finally come. He said, the law led me to Jesus. My hope and my need for Him. The idea of legalism clashes with God's clearest truth. Now that I have accepted grace and died to the law, I could never and shall never go back. Paul says, I have found joy, freedom, and deliverance here. And he goes on to say, the life I now live, I do not live in the flesh, this whole thing. I live in the spirit of God that resides in me. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Not Kyle Schiff, the hope of my own salvation. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Conclusion. Y'all ready? Conclusion. We see something happen that I think is really important in verse 21. And I don't want us to miss it. It says in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. I do not nullify. I do not, I do not, I do not make it small. I do not, I do not, I do not put it in shadows. I do not try to hide. I do not make it un, unimportant. It says, I do not nullify the grace of God. Grace of God. For if righteousness, right standing was through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. All of saving, all of the saving work was by faith alone. This is the gift of God's sovereign grace alone. To be justified means more than to be declared not guilty, brothers and sisters. It actually means to be declared righteous before God, which means not just not guilty, it actually means fully innocent. I'm going to stop real quick before I go on. Did any of y'all look at yourselves in the mirror this morning? I did. And to know that, that, that God in Christ Jesus sees me holy this morning while brushing my teeth. And trying to do something with his hair. And all the sinfulness that I am. And all the ways that I fail him. Often. That as I'm brushing my teeth. And looking at that man. That God says. Innocent. Did my sin go anywhere? No. Did my good looks go anywhere? Yes. Listen to me. That in Christ Jesus, none of you are no more holy today than what you will be when you stand before God in eternity. 
and I'm holy. Not because of anything that I am or have done. But I am holy today because of the justifying work of Jesus Christ, who was holy, who was righteous, who was good. I clothed myself in his righteousness. He clothed himself with my sin, and he paid my penalty. comes by faith truly but it is a faith that is all of grace what does this mean meaning the faith that saved does not originate or come from you we who have saving faith this morning if we are to have it and produced it must understand that faith itself is a gift of God given as a mercy and a kindness and not in and of ourselves I've got good news and bad news for you all Depends on where you're sitting on this. I've got bad news for those who like to talk about yourselves or think that somehow or another by your good works that you will make it. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something else. When it comes to Jesus Christ and the gospel, your mind wasn't able to comprehend it on yourself. Your spirit was not limping. It was dead. Your eyes were not cataracts. It was blind. Now, those of us that sit on the other side, this might be good news because we know that we are blind. We were nowhere we were sent. We were, una- we were utterly unable. And guess what? Christ saves us. Let me tell you what this means. Alistair McGrath, there's a, there's, a, there's a quote here. Alistair McGrath said this The faith by which we are justified is faith. It is faith. Faith is like a channel through which the benefits of Christ flow to us. We are not justified on account of faith. We are justified through faith. It is the work of Christ, not our faith, which is the foundation of justification. Faith itself is a gift of God, which means that Kyle Schiff can't stay on the stage this morning and sit there and tell you, I read a couple books and I was convinced I needed Jesus. I can't sit here this morning and tell you I studied enough and therefore I just was walking on the street and I realized one day, you know, there's that good part of me that needs, knows that needs Jesus. Just, I decided to follow him. I can't even boast. Listen, I can't even boast in my faith. Justifying saving faith is not a naked assent to the truths of the gospel. It's not shaking of the head at certain historical truths or even belief that Jesus was or may have been the son of God. Meaning this is not belief, as in the faith that finds no change or thought. It's not a type of faith, a belief that has no change or thought. It's not the type that doesn't or will not lead to some type of appetite change, focus change, zeal in the heart and life of the believer for the God's fame and his glory type of change. We can all shake our heads that Jesus died and rose again. Remember, there's a couple people or a couple things or, or beings in scripture that said that even the demons believe this. And know this, their faith in Jesus Christ will not save them. Don't have demon faith. Church, listen to me, please, do not have demon faith. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I did this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saving faith has its effect in the heart, and it will lead to something. However... It is also not a faith that any man or woman who truly understands the depravity of the human heart in the gospel would ever boast. Listen, church, in closing, all of us, not just in our flesh, we talk about unable to do things. We were not just crippled and broken in our sins spiritually. 
We were not simply sick. We were not apart from Christ merely limping, needing a helping hand. Listen to me, church. No. Scripture teaches us clearly that we were all of us spiritually dead. It says that we were blind. It says that we were enemies of God. It says that we are slaves to unrighteousness in sin and due to sin. Every single one of you are helpless and you are hopeless beggars in your salvation. Then Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Question often arises. Would God ask you to do something, faith and repentance, if you couldn't do it? Well, my answer to that is, yeah. We've just been talking about the law of God. Have we not? God sent us the law. He says, do this. This is the standard by which holiness and righteousness is measured. And yet all throughout scripture, specifically as I read to you Romans 3, 8, 3 through 4, listen to it again. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his one and only son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Would God do that? Yes. But in his infinite mercy and grace, he sends us his son. I want to show you a clip. I think it's like two or three minutes. Go ahead and get that ready. I want to show you the clip. I love it. You may hate it. I love it. It's pretty powerful to me. And then afterwards, I'm going to ask a question. And then we'll be done. All right? So what I'm doing right now is I'm actually just stalling so she can pull up the clip. Is it ready? If it's ready, then let's watch it together. All right. I contend this morning that the death of Christ was not an attempt. It was an accomplishment. Now, brothers and sisters, when one accomplishes something, it means somewhere they had to have an assignment. Well, what was the assignment? His name shall be called Jesus. For he shall save, not attempt to save, not try to save, not hope to save, not want to save, but he shall save his people from their sin. Is that right? I said, is that right? Now I hear this. I hear this. I hear it on television. I hear it in churches. That God has done all he can do. The rest is up to you. If the rest is up to you, then he didn't accomplish it. If anything is up to you. He didn't accomplish it. I've even heard this. You've got to help God save you. He can't do it by himself. 
if God cannot do it by himself, then he didn't accomplish it. He's a false god. He's a liar. And you best not trust him. If he didn't do it, then we ought to stop singing, Jesus paid it all. Saying he paid some of it. Now, brothers and sisters, if he did not accomplish it, we are here in vain. And you can have all of the religion you want. If this was not accomplished, we're going to hell. It's just that blunt, it's just that simple, it's just that clear. But if he did do it, he doesn't need your best and your works need not speak for you. If he did do it, you can leave here rejoicing that your sins are now under the blood and he stands as your substitute, your mediator before God this morning, pleading the blood, pleading his blood, that perfect sacrifice, that holy attainment, he's pleading the blood. You can rest. And all of my sins are under that blood. Did he accomplish it? Did he fail? Do we need Mohammed to come after him? Do we need another prophet after him? I declare this morning, he paid it all. He paid it all. Every drop of it, every sin I was going to commit, every sin I thought about committing, he nailed it to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. Morning. What are the implications? Worship. Worship is the implication. Pure joy. And those who are justified, yes, saved, by the kindness, grace, mercy, and power of a really good God. A very big God who deserves all our glory, or all his glory, not ours. A God who will not share, nor should he, that glory with anyone else, including us. Amen. However, he is one in whom allows and calls us to see, love, and cherish this glory as a joy in our own lives by the mercy, by the grace of Almighty God. Faith alone, through grace alone, in Jesus Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, is a beautiful set of sentences. As we do always. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for no purpose. Praise God this morning, church. Christ did not die for no purpose. Amen? He died for the glory of his Father, his own glory, and that's that. We are great recipients of that love, of his glory, that he would save us. Amen? Music team, why don't we come on up this morning as we sing together our final song from this morning's sermon. One of the things I always love to tell you guys uh, to do in, a, 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 at the end of the, the sermon before we're going to sing is this. What should we do? We should respond. That is what we are supposed to do. And we can respond in so many ways. That's all right. You can stand if you want to. Go ahead. I to go ahead and stand with this if you are as we sing. Respond in several ways. You can respond by what we've heard in anger and indignation. You can shake your fist and uh, do it in the lobby. Don't, don't do it with me here. You can, and I mean this in all the love. I can, we can respond by leaving. Just getting out of here. Can't get out of here quick enough. You can respond by standing where you are in silence and just contemplating all that you've heard. You can respond by standing and singing to the loudness of your voice in adoration and worship to God. You can respond by coming down front if you so choose to pray here at the altar. And so all I do and all I ask for you to do now is that God's word is good. Let us, church, respond to all that we have heard and all that we believe. For he is worthy and he is good. Let us sing.